What are you talking about? Real spiel. Yes, real. Today, I realized Cam's birthday was being celebrated on Monday based on the post I saw on Facebook. And I was thinking, man, Cam still ain't signed. Cam still hasn't found a home in the NFL, which you and I both find to be blasphemous based on his ability to perform Crazy. in the NFL up to this point. And I thought we should take a nice little walk down memory lane to one of the most fascinating, intriguing, and competitive times in college football, the Cam back. I'm sitting here with my boy, Javon Minchin, discussing Cam Newton's monumentous, triumphant Yo, 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 21-point bounce-back victory against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And what year was that, Javon? 2010? Uh, nah, it had to be 2012. Well, he was the first overall 11, pick in the 2010 NFL draft, I believe. So it had to be either the 2009 college football season or the 2010 college football season. But either way, had to be 2010 then. Had to be 2010 then. Yeah, I think it was 2010. But either way, it was the year that I, I was, remember yeah. Bama being the most loaded it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy was the third stringer. I mean, they were stacked in the backfield. It's ridiculous. I'm just watching okay. the first quarter. All I have memories of is Cam going up against. An entire front seven stacked with some of the best college defenders I've ever seen. You got Dante Hightower, Courtney Upshaw, Marcel Darius. Marcel Darius, yeah, he was in that bitch. They were souped up. I mean, the team itself was souped up. You're talking about Alabama team with Julio Jones. They just won a national championship. All right, let's it it start off with that. They just won a national championship the year before. They got Julio Jones. They got the defense you just named. They got the running backs you just named. Who, who knows what, how many first-rounders on the offensive line. You know, they just – it's a stacked team. And it just met a a team that was just on a roll that year. And and honestly, that was the game I really became a Cam Newton fan. Cameron Newton fan. You know, I mean, coming from Georgia Southern, being that he was from Atlanta, he was already kind of well-known in my area somewhat. They already kind of educated me on him and whatnot. So still wasn't a fan. But it took me losing about $150 in a bet to, to realize, okay, yeah, he, he's legit. I'm, I'm never betting against this man again. And I never did. Yeah, the fact that it was basically he and Nick Fairley carrying the team on his back. And Nick Fairley didn't play half of the first quarter, which I had forgotten. I mean, this team had yeah. uh, 15 NFL yeah. players overall, yeah. uh, two of which, I mean – you know their names, D. Ford and uh, uh, Nick Fairley I just named, but D. Ford was a baby. So the idea that he wasn't even contributing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cam's running back was a freshman named Mike Dyer, who was extremely overrated, and Ontario McCaleb, who was 170 pounds soaking wet with boots on. Caleb was so, nasty, though. That boy was, was swept. I mean, one thing I didn't remember is he led the NCAA in yards per attempt. But that was more a product of the Gus Malzahn offense, which we got to get to that. Mm-hmm. I I forgot mm-hmm. Gene Chizik was the coach of this team. You remember the chip? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I couldn't I, put a name on him, bro. I remember his face. I'm like, nah, I know his face. 
I kept calling I kept calling him Gus Malzahn and I'm like, oh hold up, this this isn't Gus Malzahn. And then it good. dawned on me, yeah, oh shit. Good. This dude was basically a placeholder for Gus Malzahn because we all knew where the success of that mm-hmm. team was coming from. It was the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you know, they had had some terrible seasons leading up to that, and then Cam and Gus show up, this crazy offensive-minded coach from high school who had never been <laughs> at the NCAA level and is just completely revamped the way offense is played with this superhero at quarterback. Superhero. Superhero. And I say that to everybody. I, I still say it to this day. Name another player that stepped in for one year and did what he did in the conference that he did it in. Like, it's, un- it's, cr- it's crazy. It's unheard of, man. And, like, the, the only reason, like, I, I said that he was one of my favorite players, of course he put on a fantastic game, fantastic comeback, like, one I've never seen before. But just add that with losing some money to it. And you really made a point to me, Cam. Like, for real, bro, I was going to dorm room to dorm room. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need that. Halftime. Yeah, I'm going to need that. I'm collecting. And they all paying because they know what time it is. It's Bama. I just won a national championship. This is Bama. In, in Alabama, they forget to mention, at Alabama. So, yeah, the fact that they called me back and I actually answered and gave that money back, oh, man. I was like, yeah, never again. You got me, count. Alabama was up 24 to 7 at half, and you could sense at the shift. Half. Yeah. You could, but you could definitely sense a shift. But I, I mean, mean, rewatching the game, you could sense a shift in the energy of the room after Cam Newton threw that long touchdown because it was a long touchdown to Emory Blake, like a 70 yard touchdown. And Tuscaloosa went silent yep. because they had already started to lose momentum because the drive before that, Bama had an opportunity to go up 31 nothing. And Greg McElroy fumbled, Mark Ingram fumbled. And Trent Richardson dropped the touchdown pass. This all happened within the course of two minutes right before Mm -hmm. the first Mm -hmm. half ended. So you think about all that taking place, and then Cam Newton throws a 70-yard bomb to Emory Blake, where this this was the first sign to NFL scouts that Mark Barron was going to be a linebacker in the NFL. This man overruns the easiest (laughs) interception I've ever seen. And I understand Cam Newton has a dart of an arm, but Mark Barron had a clear line on picking this ball off. Use your pick style like some Madden shit. And my boy just straight whiffed on it. And then the Bucks still took him seventh overall in the 2012 NFL draft right, nah. as a right, defensive nah. back. You ain't got to go that far. Released him two years later where he became a linebacker for the Rams. And he is now a free agent after playing one year with the Steelers. I just had to put that out there. Slight, slight shot at the Bucks. Damn. Damn. <laughs> Look, we're trying to do things better, all right? We're trying to. We're trying to. Y'all need to hire me for GM. I've been, I've been calling this shit for what? How many years? I'm not even going to take it there, though. But, um, yeah, Mark Barron, he's a headhunter. He's a headhunter. A headhunter. But on top of the fact they had him at safety, Drake Kirkpatrick at corner, D. Milner at the other corner. D. Milner was trash in the NFL, but the Jets took him eighth overall. Drake Kirkpatrick is still playing, I believe, for the Bengals. I mean, these are all dudes who had long NFL careers. C.J. Mosley was a sophomore on that team. He was the first overall pick by the Ravens. I mean, Cam Newton is basically going (laughs) up against the greatest defense ever compiled in NCAA history and shitting on them all second half. I mean, if you really watch this game, he's putting together 80-yard drives, dinks, dunks, very well-placed balls. Yeah, there was 
two or three fourth down conversions in that game that he didn't run the ball. Where I was like, geez, if there was any question that he should have been the number one overall pick that year, this game answered all those questions, throwing and running the ball and leadership. I mean, just everything. Mm-hmm. I felt it was yeah, important bro. that we take this glance back through history because, as I pointed out, history has not been too kind to Cam Newton and a black quarterback specifically in the NFL. Russell Wilson is rewriting that narrative, and Patrick Mahomes will do a solid job rewriting that narrative as well. But for some reason, Cam Newton has just gotten this taint, this stink, this stench associated with him that, you know, people call him a sore winner. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, a diva because of the way he dresses. A lot of it, you know, I mean, Snickers a walking meme with some of the words he uses incorrectly, I might point out. <laughs> the way he dresses. Boy alone, man. My boy. Yeah, I ain't gonna, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. As Cam Newton would say, he dresses vociferously, which makes no sense, but that's something he would say. <laughs> hey, I saw a meme. And it was a, it was a, I don't, I don't know if it was a dude or a girl, but it was somebody. Uh, like dress real spiffy, man. Like they're going to church or somewhat, but they got the real big fedora or just the real big sun hat. Yeah. And like these persons kind of built up. So they had up under the picture. So I don't know if this is Kirk Franklin, Cam Newton, or Mary J. Blige, but damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That big ass uh, yeah, grandma. That's, that's, that's Cam for you. That sun hat, that, that, uh, uh, what is it, Kentucky Derby hat. That black people sombrero. Right. <laughs> that shit, right. it, it is wild. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's... Imp- man. Uh, Go ahead. Nah, I mean, I, I'm saying the same thing. I, I think Cam is getting the sub. Well, not a sub, but it's a rough shake. You know, rough shaking the dice is right now. Um, I don't think it's, it's coming out in his favor, especially... I think he got a, a lot of bad slack playing for North Carolina. He got a lot of good and a lot of bad. I feel like the town didn't want to come out of out of North Carolina. Oh yeah, the and signs of that. Remember, remember the mom never, yeah. that wrote that letter. I mean, fans have penned letters about him being selfish, dancing, whatever. I mean, that those subtle hints you know of racism. So he, he never really had to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's, it's why is that? Because you got another quarterback the same year. You know, doing a damn WWE Hulk smash, triple A shit between his legs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, y'all really, which one of y'all want? Yeah. But I think he never really had the backing that he should have got. Um, granted, you know, he, granted he is injured, and that is a valid point. Well, that's a good reason why a lot of teams haven't pulled the trigger yet on him or not. But, um, yeah, man, I just think the system, I think they should have should have been trapped, just been graduated him to a more pocket passer to develop that that skill for him instead of just relied on his running abilities. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. It just comes with it comes with good and it comes with bad. And yeah, yeah. Like he got a lot of bad with it. Of course. He got that label associated with him, but he's going to be a Hall of yeah. Famer. He was an NFL MVP and he had a chance to win a title. I just think it's important to remember how much of a dominant figure he was in the sports landscape. I mean, this man was like Zion Williamson in college football for a little bit. And uh, real, I think it's, it's important for to take a look back. I mean, the first two games he had in the NFL, he broke the record for a rookie pass. And it's like two games back-to-back throwing for over 400 yards. Exactly. Hadn't, hasn't done it since then. MVP. But, yeah, it's, it, Cam has done it all. But uh, one thing I did want to 
mentioned just from the CBS coverage of SEC football back in college. I miss listening to Gary Danielson and Vern Lundquist call games. I'm not sure if they still do it for CBS, but damn, they were the best. I remember college football weekend <laughs> were amazing on CBS. Those calls, I mean, at one point, Vern Lundquist straight up says, Auburn's been playing sloppy. I mean, the, the secondary is suspect, to say the least, before the game even starts. Yeah. He's, this is the one group that could lose it for Auburn. Like, he, he says that straight up. And then two, if not, I don't know, three drives later, of course, Bama's up 14-0. Julio's wide open for a touchdown. Vern calls back the susceptible secondaries at it again. Like, just the calls in this game. I mean, <laughs> I, you just don't get that kind of stuff yeah, nowadays. Thing, yeah, yeah he, he, he was basically projecting shit beforehand in a very subtle way and then calling back to his ability to project shit. It was it's classic Vern Lundquist. I, miss, I just miss listening to those yeah. two call games. I haven't watched a CBS call game in a while for SEC football, but it used to be my go-to in college. Nah, I just miss, I just love college football live. Saturday morning, college football turning on at 9 a.m. That's that's the best thing. Leave that on for three hours, two hours. We used to leave, we used to watch that before we used to play our games. Yeah. Wake up early, do what we need to do, come back, chill, watch a college football live. One moment I forgot about in the game, fourth and one with like a minute left, uh, or fourth quarter with like a minute left, A.J. McCarron comes in, and they show this old clip of Nick Saban just chewing his ass out because he was throwing when they were up against Ole Miss, and he just slaps him on the yeah. ass. Like, Nick Saban's low-key Bobby Knight. Like, in terms yeah. of his... What? Yeah. Yeah, his aggressiveness with players. And, like, if you want to put together sure. a highlight of Nick Saban being really, really aggressive and just berating his players, you could do that just as easily as you could with Bobby Knight or any other coach you want to call way too rough. Bro, Nick Saban is the example. Nick Saban is the is the example of all these assholes coaches. That's what they'll point to. Say, well, Nick Saban does it, and look at him. They literally do that. Yeah, Bama came out really flustered in the second half. Julio dropped a pass, which is very rare for him. I mean, this man was playing with a broken hand this game. Another thing that this game reminded me of was just how nasty Julio was. I remember it being a conversation during this time frame. Who was better, A.J. Green or Julio Jones? And, A, I was an A.J. Green guy personally just because I loved watching UGA. Aaron Murray was there, you know, our old high school teammate. Uh, he actually gets a shout-out in this game because on a scramble the week before, I guess Nick Fairley hurt his shoulder, and that's the reason he was out part of the first half in this game. So shout-out Aaron Murray for hurting Nick Fairley and fucking up Auburn's chance <laughs> to possibly beat Bama the next week. Subtle plant high shout. But, um, yeah, I mean, A.J. Green was that shit, man, and it was like – I always felt he was the smoother, more NFL-ready receiver, and he was always better in college, produced the better numbers, but people would say that was a product of the fact Georgia threw a lot. Once you let Julio open up, he was the better NFL player, and I think that's sort of shown out over time. I mean, he's been more durable for sure. Uh, I mean, at one point in this game, he's doing end-arounds. He has this swift-ass move. I remember writing it down in my notes. I just write SWIFT in all caps. <laughs> on this end around that he actually scored a touchdown on the week before and just 
straight like on a on a I didn't even realize he had this level of like you know shiftiness. You know what I'm saying? I, I forgot yeah, that he could yeah. break you down like that at six yeah. five, two forty, whatever he is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you don't really see him like that. Usually when you get like freak freak size like that when it comes to athlete, maybe it doesn't come with capabilities. But when you get a freak size and freak abilities, oh man. And you know what he's doing? Oh man. Yeah, he, that's a monster. He was ridiculous. I mean he used to return kicks. position. <laughs> he was returning kicks. Yeah. Oh, damn, did it? Yes, he was returning yeah. kicks with him. He, him and Trent Richardson were the kick returners. Like it's crazy to think about. Hell, y'all put Trent back there. Exactly. They did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did put Trent back there. It, it, it's just crazy to think about. Some that shows you Alabama mind frame, though. That shows you Alabama mind frame, though. It's like I just need somebody who could catch the ball and run the ball and don't fumble. Okay. <laughs> we, just, wherever we start, we'll be good. <laughs> Just put your best athletes back there and figure it out. We got enough of them. Right. Right. That's that old school mentality. That's that old school football. It works until you, you know, come across a team like him. Yeah, a team destined. Uh, as I said, there were 15 NFL players on the Auburn side, or at least players that would eventually go on to be in the NFL. On the Bama side, 23 that I could count. I mean, I lost count after a while, but it's – it's just crazy when you look at the overall lineup of talent, talent, coach to coach. There's no reason they should have been in this game, and there was no reason other than Cameron. I think his middle name is Martin Newton. <laughs> is it Martin? I'm not sure. I thought it was like Jarrell or some shit. Oh, no, you're 100% right. It is Jarrell. Cameron Jarrell Newton. So It is Cameron Jarrell Newton. He's still, he's still writing in that crazy-ass language. Yeah. Me. I don't even know where you I find that from. Me. Yeah, like what? See, he's just too extra sometimes. That's why bitches be mad at him. <laughs> That's my dog, but damn, he's blowing me. Yeah, he puts himself in certain positions, and obviously him not being signed by an NFL team is about more than football, just like with Callan Kaepernick. It's about do we want to yeah. pay a dude who's going to come in here and be what we think is going to be average for the headache that he's going to bring along. Because Cam Newton is a headache. I mean, the press conferences, the questions about his leadership abilities, all that. I mean, you know, with Cam Newton, you're going to get a guy that's going to be a saint in the community. He's going to deal with the fans in the best way possible. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he's a headache on the field. Off the field, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Yeah. I mean, shit. Even on the field, like, how big of a headache is it? It ain't that long. Oh, he a headache. If you want a quarterback to complete 70% of his passes, he a headache. You got to run a certain style of offense for Cam Newton. And I understand why you might not want to take a risk on a dude like Cam. Same reason Jameis Winston had to take a backup job. Like, they're going to have to prove they don't turn the ball over as much and that, in Cam's case, he can stay healthy because, shit, he's going to command $25, $30 million. And if you want to start for an NFL team, bruh. I mean, last season – yeah, that's what I'm saying. Last season was not too hot for him. I mean, the best thing smoking for the Panthers was Christian McCaffrey. And I don't have any notes on that white boy, but I don't need him. He's the best thing I've ever seen with the ball in his hands. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, at the bad, running back man. position. I'm going to say the best thing. No, at the running back position, who's white? Like I'm saying, he's the best white running back I've ever seen. I was trying to say it in a subtle way, but to hell with it. Let's keep it 100. Nah, nah, nah. We keep it 100. I mean, he tough. 
that white black Spanish, he, he tough. He real tough. Especially how they're using him. I hope he can stay durable. That's what I'm really hoping for. He's basically um, they did a comparison of Go ahead. No, nah, they was doing a comparison they was doing a comparison of him. Because I guess he um, you know, a lot of his a lot of his catches are a lot of dump offs and stuff, but he's of course that's a that's a stack. So let's compare him to like who is somewhat similar to what Christian McCaffrey can do as far as catching the ball and running the ball out of the backfield and, you know, yards per carry and yards per catch. And they compared it to Marshall Falk. And, um, yeah, when they was breaking that shit down, I was like, yeah, Christian is bad, but, you know, no one's better than Marshall Falk, especially what he's doing. And maybe I just got nostalgia right there, but I kind of, I kind of saw what it was. I, I see what they was talking about, especially at that time frame. But, um, I mean, Christian, he's still in the beginning of his years, just got his contract so he can sit down and get comfortable and really, Really dig in, you know what I'm saying? Really go for it. So, hopefully they give him a, hopefully they give him somebody that can throw the ball. Like you need some play action stuff. So they just, they're gonna continue to stay with that little, you know, running plays and the, the dump offs and shit like that. They're gonna continue to just depend on Christian McCaffrey to win the game. That's not gonna happen. That boy gonna get burned out. Oh yeah, he is already getting way worn out with all the touches he gets. Right. Like said, they like right. to. But like you said, they like to get him on the edges and they like to get him touches in unique ways where he's kind of catching it in open space and not taking so much damage in the middle, uh, like running through the uh, line of scrimmage. But still, I, eventually, yeah, running backs all get worn down. I'm just saying from a pure skill standpoint, I've never seen a white running back do the things he does. Usually when you got a white running back, it's like a Peyton Hillis, some Mike Allstock, you got thumpers. Yeah, they, you know, they're the not open. even close. They're not even close. Not even close. The only dude I can think of with this level of shiftiness and swiftness as a white running back that I've seen in the last 10 years is Danny Woodhead. <laughs> only dude I could think of. Like, am I missing somebody? <laughs> yeah, for the Chargers. Yeah, yeah, nah. Christian, Christian Hillard than that. Yeah, you Way yeah. He's He's like what Reggie Bush was supposed to be. He is what Reggie yeah. Bush is supposed to be. When I see him out there, I'm like, this dude's a white Reggie Bush. Even the way he's built, he's shredded like Reggie Bush. He's about the same height. He looks exactly like Reggie Bush out there running the ball. Except, yeah, yeah uh, he's uh, what's what's the word? He's um, actually, he actually translated to the NFL level. <laughs> um, I don't know how I got a Christian McCaffrey rant there. I think it was just because we were talking about the Carolina Panthers. But yeah, that man is straight up smoking. Free Cam. <laughs> All right, now I just want to shout that out. <laughs> Uh, in the midst of all this rewatchables and uh, classic footage that we were going through on the annals of YouTube, I asked that Javon rewatch along with me. Ali Frazier won from Madison Square Garden in 1970. What, what did you take away from watching what was deemed at the time, and I think has remain to be true up until this point, the greatest fight in boxing history. I mean, the, the spectacle was clearly what it was. I mean, there's 20,000 people there. Each fighter made about two and a half million bucks, which was unheard of at the time. 300 million people watched worldwide. And I think we got what was one of the most exciting fights I've ever seen. And this is probably the second or third time I've watched it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you thought it was going one way watching the fight, then it completely went the other way. 
and it was still kind of a toss up throughout the fight, but it completely went the other way. And uh, it was, bro, I forgot they went 15 rounds back then. Let's just start off with that. Jesus. Yeah, this fight might be the reason they don't go 15 rounds anymore. And if you listen to Joe Frazier talk about the fight, I mean, 25 years later, he's talking about the fact that Ali has Joe Frazier-itis. He got left hook-itis. And, like, he revels in the fact that he essentially contribute to, you know, Ali's Parkinson's. (laughs) Like he is, he takes glee in the yeah, fact that, you know, I rambled this nigga's brains to the point that he can't have a conversation with you right now. That was me, bro. Like he's bragging about it to the Sports Illustrated journalist, and the journalist is like, "Oh, okay." But um, there's well, a sense no, I of see that. yeah, yeah. I I did a deep dive into just the history of those two relationship, and That's there's hilarious, a man. You remember in the movie when? Ali was suspended and he was courting Joe Frazier to assist him in getting his boxing license back by having a boxing match with him and helping him promote it because it would make both of them really rich and that would lead itself to the boxing association and the powers that be at the time basically giving uh, Ali his license back after the three and a half year layoff. Do you remember that part in the movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you met him in the car and so. Yeah, so I mean, you know, this, that wasn't just for theater. That actually happened. Joe Frazier and Ali drove from Philadelphia to New York, I believe. Um, there are stories of Joe Frazier loaning Ali money to pay off debts during a time where Ali was making money only on the college speaking circuit. So they had a deep relationship that, you know, yeah. was more than boxing. And I think it was respected. It, there was a respect there, and Ali respected Joe Frazier, even though he went on to basically paint him as this. It, there was a lot of racial <laughs> tones to the shit Ali did. I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, him calling him a gorilla, said he was the ugly Uncle Tom. You know, I mean, his exact terminology I don't have in front of me, but basically he uh, characterized Joe Frazier as this mumbling, fumbling black dude from South Carolina who was like a white man's errand boy. Like he was willing to stand there and fight in the war and he was willing to say the right things for the country. He was a do boy for white America. You know what I'm saying? And Joe Frazier viewed Ali as this loud mouth who only gets viewed as the greatest champion of all time. And he's famously quoted as saying, being a champion is more than just having a loud mouth. You know, I'm a good American. I could have carried the torch up there during the Atlanta Olympics. What? I'm in shape. I, I, I saw him shaking with that flame in his hand. I'd have pushed him in there. I wish he'd set himself on fire. Like, these are things he's saying in 1996, Javon. So there's a real bitterness there. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Nah, I don't know. I thought they was cool. But if they still had, because I, I, I did see that part in the movie. When they did arrange that, um, arrange that boxing match, and uh, even when they was fighting, they was fighting each other. You can kind of tell that it was a little animosity, but it wasn't. It was like business. It was still professional business, um, but it, it was some familiar, familiarity with with the both of them. I uh, think it, after a while, Joe came to understand what the f- promotion of boxing was, but he just didn't respect Ali yeah. anymore. 
And I think that's yeah. where that, that hate even 25 years later comes from. It's like, bro, I just don't respect what you stood for in the sport. Like you were saying about Henry Cejudo on our MMA podcast last time. You know, like, mm-hmm. you just can't respect the dude who's got to put on this show and put on this act. And that's how Joe Frazier viewed Muhammad Ali. He was a showman. Yeah, he was a showman. He was a showman. And that's one. yeah, he, he, was, he was a showman throughout the fight. And that was kind of got him, kind of got him clipped, that left hook. He's just a little too much of a showman. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's, that comes with it. It's pros and cons of that shit. Yeah, let's just he, talk yeah, about the fight. Ali comments. If he, yeah. go, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Ali comments. Nah, nah. Even Ali comments. If he really said that, the whole, I mean, I did hear him call him Gorilla. I saw, I, I saw like, them had a little interaction on live TV one time. Um, but even though, you know, you, you got to get too deep. Like, for boxing, you ain't got to go too far. Oh, yeah. And he went way too far. There was a lot of colorism and racial undertones to what he was doing. And, you know, me yeah, and you both gotta, chocolate yeah. brothers. You know, the idea that he out there talking <laughs> shit. I mean, I'm on Joe Frazier's side. Like, if I'm a nigga stepping into that ring, and I always right. said, if I ever did fight amateur or professionally, I would definitely adopt that awkward style that Mike Tyson and Joe Frazier, kind of that peekaboo, awkward head movement, in and out, left hooks, yeah. just constant forward movement. That would definitely See, be your style. You. I got I to gotta have that range. I got to have that range. My exactly. range would be like Ali. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, the idea that yeah. Joe Frazier come in like that, that's exactly how I would approach it. Like, light-skinned, pretty nigga, I'm finna fuck sure. you up, boy. Finna what? <laughs> what? No. Mm-hmm. Hey, hold on. What you mean exactly? Let me catch that back. What you mean exactly? Mm-hmm. Come <laughs> on. I, mean, Ali, I got Ali spirit, but I ain't, I ain't showing me like Ali. No, no, I'm saying your length is like Ali. I, I was just talking about in terms of our body yeah. style. No, no, I'm just yeah. saying like with, with my body style, I'm 205, 5'11", I'm coming in there like Joe Frazier. Just, if you knock me out, you're going to knock me out, but I'm going to catch you one of these hooks, though. Bobbing, weaving. Yeah. But it was just uh, from a strategic standpoint, it was the only way to beat Ali. And it, it, now having... If you juxtapose this against uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder in 2020, it's just amazing the comparisons. You you really can see why boxing historians withdraw those comparisons because at the beginning of uh, excuse me Ali Frazier one, he definitely looks like Tyson Fury, kind of like plotting, you know, picking his shots like not dancing so much and then by i think it's the fifth round ali starts dancing a little bit but in the first five rounds or first four he's trying to box with joe and like throw knockout yeah, shots he was looking good the first three rounds no he was looking good the first three rounds he's like he's got tired like the fourth to fifth like the, it's like i think the fourth round and you could see he just started laying on joe and that's I'm, what i thought he was going to his whole you know not ali shuffle but you know just a I'm playing Todd and let you kind of draw draw your energy out. And it, it did look like that, but it, it just looked like that 15 rounds caught up to them boys. Because even one round, Joe was just throwing like, he was throwing flurries, but they was just, it was like light punches. Like he was just working out, like moving his hand, trying to get like rack up points and stuff. Yeah, I think you're talking about on the, in the eighth round. Ali's like laying on the ropes and Joe's basically like he's sparring. And Ali just lets him yeah, do it, yeah, and then yeah, Joe yeah. gets bored, and then pulls him into the ring. Like he literally grabs both of his yeah, wrists and then throws him to the middle of the ring. ring. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Frazier came to fight, and he obviously came to punish Ali. He wanted to punish him. Yeah. It was it was clear from the outset. Yeah. 
Uh, they only registered one of those knockdowns, but I think there was two. They called it a slip, but it looked to me like Joe Frazier caught him in the uh, – I think it was the sixth round, too. Nah, he slipped. He slipped. He? I mean, Cameron yeah, slipped on that. Like, he kind of he kind of got out of – then he kind of slipped, though. Yeah. And cameras uh, weren't thin what they are now, but I know the boxing announcers were just like you, thinking that Ali might have been playing a little a rope-a-dope. You know, and he did have a couple flurries there late in the eighth or ninth round. But to me, it was all Frazier, all Frazier, all up yeah. until the ninth round, pretty much when Ali had a, a nice little flurry. But, you know, I mean, nah, that was I his best round. Up to, I give the Ali up to like the, the like even when he was tied, I give him. I give him at least like six or seven. Like I know he didn't score too many at the end, but I give him like I give him like six or seven, bro. You give him rounds, like six or seven? No, I give him I give him the first three rounds. You giving give him the first, the first three? three okay, rounds. interesting. I'm giving Ali the first three rounds. Like I feel like Ali had I feel like Ali landed some nice combinations. Man, he landed some nice hooks. And Jazz was keeping Joe back, and Joe was catching him. Don't get me wrong, but Joe really wasn't having this effect till later in that in in the match. Like later until he was laying up on Ali and catching that left here and there, and he really didn't even. I feel like Joe just left with something serious because it wasn't like he was just beating up on Ali so bad. I just feel like he just caught Ali a few times in each round, and I think that eighth round. I know that fifteen rounds when he really caught him, but like the eighth round, he caught him like in, in the corner, caught him that left hook, and Ali like just you could tell he his head his neck jerked back. Yes. And, like, tried to gather himself. There was another round. He caught him again with that left, and he really, like, he stumbled. Yeah. He stum- that boy stumbled. And was like, yeah, he just he just catching his ass. Because Ali keeping his distance, but you could tell Ali was tired, too. So I was like, if you trying to do the rope a dope, it did look like that. Then, like, he, like, cut it on. Then he really, like, he just tired, trying to just tie Joe out. Honestly, it I resembled. I think he overdid it the first three rounds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, he's coming off a three-year layoff. This is his first professional fight in three years. Um, What it really resembled to me was Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje, honestly. I mean, it wasn't as punishing. You know, Ali wasn't taking quite the damage Ferguson was, but those left hooks were landing the whole fight. I mean, Joe Frazier opens up the first round with two left hooks, letting Ali know, hey, I'm here all night. And the way you yeah. say Ali won the first three rounds, I get what you're saying from a boxing and maybe outpointing standpoint, but I look at fights from this way. If you're retreating and you're fighting on your back foot the entire fight and it looks to me like you're in more danger and it looks like one guy is landing the more damaging shots and continuing to come forward, I don't give a fuck how many times you're hitting him. He's eating everything and you're the one that's in more trouble. So, like, I get, like, from a... If you're scoring boxing, that's not how you score a fight. But just watching a fight, like just as a fan, like, oh yeah, this nigga's in trouble. He was in trouble the whole fight. His the entire fight, Joe Frazier's like, yeah, uh huh, yeah, yeah I man. see you, I see you, I see you throwing. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> He's like smiling at him, like nothing was hurting Joe. Yeah, he was, he was, but shit, Ali was still catching his ass. Like you could still keep coming in, and that shit gonna add up. Even when he was going back to his corner, they were like, I, Joe, Joe's, Joe's face is welting up. They saying something about his face. Oh, Joe starting up, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was it was getting to him. It just, Joe had the stronger chin that day. 
Yeah, and a stronger fist. Because his, his shots were yeah, more damaged. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, yes. At yes. one point, the announcers even say, those pity pat punches aren't going to do anything for anyone. Because Ali is just like, he's kind of, I mean, his wrists are even like, they're loose when he's throwing the punches. And that's why I say it's like Tyson Fury. Like, he wasn't throwing knockout shots. Every shot, he wasn't sitting on all his punches. And it was probably a product of him being so tired. And just his style. I mean, bro, Joe Frazier's hooks. I mean, everything was either a vicious rip to the body or a lunging left hook. Yeah, he's like, and you can hear him. And, like, you know, like how we were saying in the MMA, we could hear the fighters breathing and everything. You can hear Joe Frazier with 20,000 people in there. He's like, he's, yeah, he he was trying to put something behind every single punch. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have a a smoking Joe Frazier T-shirt. He's always been one of my favorite fighters, but he's, he's the one who closely closest resembles Mike Tyson from that era with you know more strategy into it but um yeah it's it's unfortunate that boxing doesn't remember him more fondly and he's kind of just a footnote to Ali's legacy he really is he really is um I mean boxing itself is still a sport that not a lot of people are on which not a lot of people know really the history of it like even me, I, I admit, like sometimes I catch myself like, oh damn, okay, yeah, okay, I have to do some little research. But um, it's not like it's not as big as the footballs and the, and the basketballs. Not a, not a, not a, not right now. I think they're going to get to that. Uh, UFC, I think UFC is bringing a lot of attention towards uh, just towards the fighting world in general, and it's catching the right crowds, catching the younger crowd, and the younger crowds going to ride with it to the next generation. I think it's. Yeah, I think Boss is definitely going to come back. You've seen all these old fighters. Oh, I think we already said that already. A lot of these old fighters trying to come out of retirement. Oh, yeah, yeah. coming out now. Oh, yeah. We were talking about it on the last podcast for sure. I mean, fighting's yeah, yeah, never yeah. been bigger. It's never been a hotter sport. Um, And with UFC, and eventually I think boxing will come back with this similar model that UFC is doing. Because, I mean, on the show today, you got people in the sports world, even people like Shaq talking about, yeah, I mean, they should just scrap the NBA season. You know, NFL, they're talking about pushing it back. I mean, the idea that people in the sports world are so terrified when the corona mortality rate is dropping. That's the only thing I care about. I don't care about the number of cases because cases going to continue to go up as we test more. If As long as people aren't dying, why are we continuing to spread this fear around keeping sports shut down? I mean... I, I get maybe not having crowds, but, you know, I don't want to turn it into that kind of conversation, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it pisses me off that I people don't in the... You, damn it. Yeah, like, people in the sports world, man, it's just, y'all should be the ones that are the most gung-ho. Like, don't be... Don't echo the sentiment of people who don't benefit from this shit. Like, I mean, we need sports. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need that escape that's, as a country. That's, that's what I was about to say, man. Is that, is that a sad thing, though? I was I thinking about it the other day. No, bro, it's a product of human crazy. nature. They ain't got no sports. I don't think it's sad, man. Ever since people have been alive, we didn't have gladiators or something. True, true. We always had some entertainment, some form of entertainment. Happy it is sports and not shit to your death. But um, I don't know, like how fast it is a marketing tool as well. How they're using, it, of course. But um, just. A lot of shit they were saying is like, I mean, yeah, but damn, really? Are we really that right? We can just can't chill for a little minute? <laughs> I, I, I get chilling for a little minute. And um, yeah. 
you know, I'm, you know, sometimes I find myself. But I get the business standpoint as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I find myself sounding like a spoiled American, but it's like, also, no, we have statistics, we have numbers, and we have a healthcare system that's telling us <laughs> how to fucking address this situation, and people are acting like sheep, bro. It's just, that's scarier to me. It's like, motherfucker, y'all yeah. read something. And, you know, if you talk to a doctor who's critical of the way that the government has addressed this situation, not one of these Dr. Fauci yeah. motherfuckers out here that just want to keep shit closed, they're like, bro, why aren't we educating people about how to strengthen your immune system? And why are we telling elite athletes right. that they're in danger of dying from coronavirus when no number of statistics suggests that, bro? Like, you think someone fighting in the UFC is worried about getting sick? <laughs> like, fucking... No, not I at all. Yeah, you think a boxer is worried about that or anybody in basketball? Like LeBron was mad when fans and people in the media were suggesting that sports is just going to be scrapped this season. He tweeted out, right, none of my agents, none of the people associated with Team LeBron has said anything of that nature. Like the Lakers are ready to come back. I'm in shape. Like he want to play. And yeah. I, I remember, uh, I, I think they were talking about it on first take. No one talks about the fact that the San Antonio Spurs won a championship in the 55-game season. Shit, I completely forgot that. It was 1998. I forgot that the Heat won in a 62-game season, lockout season. Remember that? 2011 or 2012 when they won a title against OKC. So, I mean, this – we're – I think history is fond to the victor. Like, if the Lakers win the championship this year, nobody's going to say, well, it was during the corona season, so that shit don't count. They played – Fucking 80 games. Yeah, nah. Somebody will may say that shit, but I mean, it's only been it's only been a month and a half. I don't know. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> that shit was just making me mad. We'll have some passion behind that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just everything points to sports being in a position to come back. UFC is literally... Uh, pr- making a blueprint. It's creating a template for how sports can come back in some sustainable way. And people would rather shit on it. Like on some of the shows I was working today, bro, they don't even want to talk MMA. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. I just, they still treat it like it's a niche sport. It's the only sport going on. Exactly. You know, it is the only sport going on. Yeah. That made my Saturday night. Yeah. Well, it's about to make my Wednesday night. We're actually watching fights live. As we're recording this, I'm about to go ahead and cut on uh, the live streaming element of IGTV for Real Spill Pie real quick so we can talk some of these fights because it is 9 p.m. The main event is starting. Uh, I mean, I really just wanted to get into Anthony Lionheart Smith and Glover Teixeira, maybe a little open St. Prue on the main card, too. That's the uh, black dude that's fighting Ben Rothwell right before. Uh, mm-hmm. the uh, main event, but it, I mean, I'm I'm obviously picking Anthony Smith. You know, I mean, I'm, I know you're familiar with yeah, him. Yeah, my boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anthony Smith's my boy. Uh, like I was telling you before, um, everybody know what happened to John Jones. Well, recent incident with the authorities. Um, and you know that comes with certain comments and certain people throwing low blows. As we were saying in the last podcast, I. My boy Israel Adesanya was kind of going that route, which which I didn't agree with. But uh, 
out of all the people who had to say something and not really him saying something, giving his two cents, but, you know, I feel like it was a real coming from a, a honest place and a caring place was uh, Anthony Smith. Um, a boy was like, you know, John, we all know John. We all know his responses. You know, we, we know he kind of basically said we all know his responses, but we hope that he really works within. You know, he really works on himself. You know, he, he gave us his apology response. I'm going to accept that. But I really hope it's not for us. And I really hope he's really trying to work on himself. And that was, that was, that was yeah, that was very sincere, man. I really, you know, as a, as a fan looking in, I was like, okay, I like seeing stuff like that. It shows some sign of solidarity. You know, it's not all about competition. It's not all about, you know, I got to beat you type of shit. It's like, man, you're a man. I'm a man. And I hope you the best because that shit ain't, you know, you you too good, you're too good, and you're too good of a sport for you to be like ending up in this shit. Like you keep doing this type of shit, you keep ending up in this type of scenarios, you keep having this behind your name. You just, you just too good for it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. It's like this football kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, it, whenever John Jones gets in trouble, it always becomes the thing, well, damn, are they going to strip him? Are they going to suspend him? It's always a question. Yeah. And I hate having those questions because, like you said, in any other major sport or any other sport that you would consider your favorite sport, you're not worried about is the best athlete going to play. I mean, you're not worried about, oh, well, damn, are they going to suspend LeBron? for? I mean, and that's the thing that's interesting about watching the Jordan documentary, not to get off topic. I mean, that was like a real thing people had to worry about. Oh, this dude's just going to walk away for a year? Oh, okay. I guess he's just going to play baseball now. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not something that we really consider ourselves having to associate with major sports. But with MMA, it's just become common sense that John Jones is going to get suspended for PED use. John Jones going to get in trouble for doing something outside of the sport or something like that. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate that we've associated him and that behavior with the sport, but it is what it is. And it is, I don't know, it's cool to see somebody like Anthony Smith, someone who's actually lost to him in competition, come out and be like, hey, we're all human beings and can have a moment of humility and recognize, hey, I'm a fighter too. This could happen to any of us. I mean, you could see right. signs of like more than just depression, alcoholism, and being isolated, whatever he's going through. I mean, it's like CTE. It's all types of shit going on there. Who knows? You know, and we don't know what people are going through, but I do know nobody bounces back like John Jones. I mean, the next day he's shooting bow and arrow in his backyard, listening to Kirk Franklin on blast on Instagram. <laughs> like, That's what I'm saying. It's like I'm I'm with, I'm with my heart, man. It's like, come on, bro. I ain't trying to see that shit, nigga. You better be listening to that shit. I'll be feeling that shit. Don't be playing that shit. Do you know the words, nigga? Listen to that shit. Live yeah. by that shit. Is it be with your that spirit? Shit for us? Yeah, is it with your spirit? Right. And that's it, the one it, it, thing. It be like that some days. Absolutely. And that's the one thing I respect about Israel Adesanya because he just comes out and says, listen, John, I don't believe anything that you say in regards to you being this holier-than-thou type character. I know you as a person, and nigga, you ain't shit. Just say you ain't shit, and it's right. cool with us. Right, Be a piece of I'm shit, human being. I'm trying to see it, bro. Bro, I saw it the first time he was on Rogan's podcast, bro. Like, when I love John, but, like, when he was on Rogan's podcast and he talked for an hour and a half, I'm like, bro, why are you, like, trying to convince us you're this nice guy 
Like yes, yes, yeah. Uh, I had to rewatch that and just just watch different scenes and interviews and shit. And it's like, damn, it all made sense, bro. You were you really was out here, like you was wild as fuck. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's like your personality. Like that's your personality. That's the type of kind of dude you are. So yeah, you trying to put on this front too. So it, it just like I fuck with him. You know that was like my that's that's still my dog. You know that's still one of my that is my favorite UFC fighter. But it's just like you see flaws when you see flaws, and if it's leading to a destruction path, yeah, somebody say something. Somebody step in. I mean, ain't like yeah, he can beat you up, then you can fight too. Shit. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Have his brothers put hands on him. I mean, it just seems like. Right, man. Have his brothers put hands on him. It's obvious anybody in the sport of mixed martial arts, obviously, everybody's going to have their own personality, but if you fight for a living, you're a wild individual. That's kind of safe to say. That goes without saying, right? Yeah. So, yeah, hell yeah. It's hard life. I mean, shit, John Jones is just wild, bro. I mean, he, I think uh, Rogan says it all the time. This dude came out uh, in his first fight for a title at age 23 with, like, a flying sidekick. Like, just yeah. jumps yeah. through the air to start off a fight against a, you know, future Hall of Fame UFC fighter. I mean, dudes just don't do that. He's a crazy person. He beat the shit out of Alexander Gustafson coming off a bender. He's a different type of human being. Yeah. Different type. It's That's what I'm saying. Israel... Israel better not go that route. Not saying he do all that type of shit, but John, you said John, you said John came out with that flying knee. Like John was exciting. John knew how to come out and finish some shit. Now you trying to give us a show. It's like, bitch, come out and finish some shit. Like stop trying to be like how yeah, how Israel keeps saying, you're not no Zen master, kung fu chi leader. No, no. <laughs> finish this shit. Give me a knockout or two, motherfucker. Yeah, John Jones, uh, his fighting style is hit, see, do. Embarrass you. Like, it's, it's hit, a beautiful see, it's a beautiful style. <laughs> like, I'm not coming out here on no, like he said, Zen master, karate, jujitsu, none of that. I'm going to hit, I'm going to see, I'm going to do. I'm going to react to what the fuck is going on in front of me. It's a beautiful way to fight. It's my favorite fighting style. And... You know, I mean, Israel Adesanya could talk all the shit in the world. John Jones is the greatest fighter to ever step in the ring. So, you, I mean, yep. I get you can say that his last couple fights have been more underwhelming than we're used to, but that's more just a product of him being smarter, him realizing he has more to fight for. I mean, when he fought Gustafson two years ago, we got John. We got the same old John. He beat the shit out of Gustafson. Um, Ovid St. Prue, that was the one. I think that was a while ago now, shit. I think it was like five years ago now. When he fought Ovens, who's fighting on this card, that was an awkward fight for him. Um, Tiago Santos. I mean, Tiago's a dangerous dude. You know, who else? Uh, who did he fight recently? Anthony Smith. Underwhelming. But he, he, he finishes the show, though. I mean, it's, it's just, what do you want from him? It might be homeboys, how they fought. You said it might be for what? For real, how they fought? They might be homeboys, for real. Anthony Smith and John Jones, how they fought, literally. It really, I don't know. They, they, it, it, it was grappling. It was some hands, but it wasn't really like nothing bloody, nothing crazy. It was just, An I don't know, just that type. Anthony admitted that he walked into the arena in too much awe of John. 
he didn't start to really fight until like the third round, and then he realized, oh, okay, you're human yeah, being. Yeah, yeah. Like I can, yeah. I can, I can rush you. I can fight you how I fight everybody else, and I'm not gonna die. Like you know, what I'm saying. And by the fifth round, he realized, oh, okay, like this is just a fight. It's like any other fight. But by then, it was over, and John exactly. had outpointed him. So like, John isn't going into the ring with the same killer mindset, and I think that's kind of coming from this whole act that he's been doing out in public. Like we both said, he's trying to be a nice guy. So it's bleeding into, I don't know, his decision-making, his strategy, his mindset in the ring. Whereas before, he was just a killer. Like, he was coming off, you know, a weekend where he was high on coke, drunk on whiskey, and just ready to you know, just pull up. Even just, his interview with Joe Rogan shit, you're like, damn, bro, you got live. Like, you, you just live just a while ago. <laughs> Yeah, man. He was full of piss and vinegar, just ready to fuck everything up. Um, I mean, when you hear the story about him crashing into a pregnant woman and going back for the cocaine and going back for the money or whatever it was that he went back for in his car, it's like, damn, this dude was out there. What what was the story? The story, uh, he said he went back for the... Oh my God! I think it's. I looking back on it, it probably was bullshit. You say you went back for um, like the, the pot thing. What's what's the pot thing? What is that? The fucking um pipe. I think he went back for his pipe or an inhaler or some some shit like that. Whatever the it fuck he it said. It wasn't cocaine. It wasn't cocaine. Like <laughs> he was trying to make it. It wasn't drugs. <laughs> like oh, it was drugs. <laughs> I mean, the dude likes to party. That's okay. I, you know, I appreciate it. Like I said, I mean, I want my fighters built that way. It's like when people talk about how do you want your quarterback? There's a certain way I want my quarterback, right? I want Russell Wilson. You know what I'm saying? I want, like, if I had to choose between Russell Wilson as a quarterback and Lamar Jackson, and I'm not even talking about playing styles. I'm just saying in terms of being outspoken, bro, I'm going to get in less trouble with Russell Wilson. I just know what I'm getting, you know? And that's not to say, oh, Lamar Jackson going to end up getting in trouble off the field. I'm just saying I ain't got to worry about no Instagram posts. I ain't got to worry about no friends. I ain't got to worry about you shouting out sniper gang, shouty. I ain't got to worry about none of that. I ain't got to worry about none of that. Do we? I, I don't even follow him. I follow, bro, and I love, bro. doing all that? I love everything about what he represents for the culture and the future of black quarterbacks in the NFL. There's going to be a lot of Lamar Jacksons in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> he be shouting out all the South Florida rappers and shit. Like, he be putting on niggas with 500 followers. Like, hey, yo, follow my bro. And just, just be on there with rap verses and shit. I'm like, bro, I don't want my franchise quarterback doing that. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I love it as a fan. But if I got to sign yeah. you for $130 million, it scares me. So I'm just saying. I want my fighters built a certain way, and I want my quarterbacks built in a certain way. And the way I want my fighters ain't the way I want my quarterbacks built. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, the Smith-Tech-Sheriff fight, I think I already said I pick Anthony Smith tonight. He ain't lost a fight since 2019, and that was against John Jones, like we just said. He feeling himself. Definitely feeling himself. Last person he fought, he submitted Gustafson. He's yeah, was on the downhill. Yeah, I mean he's retired now. Uh, oh yeah, see, yeah, that. If you believe, I mean, losing to John twice and then kind of recognizing, 
you know, I'm pretty much just going to be rec- I'm I'm pretty much just going to be known as the third best light heavyweight in the division for the next whatever five years. He could just be punching bags for John Jones and DC and whatever up and comers that the UFC threw at him, or he could retire and be a legend. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he might come right. back. He, he's still young. I mean, that shit takes a lot out of you. But um, it does. If you believe in ring rust. Anthony hasn't fought since 2019 against him, and Teixeira's coming off a three-fight win streak. I mean, he's been fighting way more recently, way more active. But Glover's an old dude. I mean, shit, last time I remember seeing Glover fight, he got knocked out. But I know that's not the last time he fought. I mean, I just looked at his record. He He's won by submission twice and won based on decision. So, I mean, I know that he's a danger, but... Everybody he fights when they're in the top five, like Anthony Smith level, he usually just gets his ass whooped. I hate to say it because, I mean, he's a great fighter. And he's a dude that got in the UFC late because a passport situation. Took him a while to get his papers situated. But um, Mm, Trump got him. (laughs) Nah, (laughs) shit. America got his ass in general. It's too difficult to get up there. He one of them dudes with them finicky birth certificates like we think he might be 45 but he also could be 52 type um gotcha gotcha he got a bummer gotcha yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean he he, i love the way he fights i mean he fights with um that tyson peekaboo style but he's got a black belt in jujitsu like he'll he'll knock him off out but he ain't gonna if he if he goes into trying to trade with anthony smith there's a reason anthony smith's the heavy favorite i think it's minus 185 betting odds if you want to try and make yourself a little change. 190 last time I saw it. Yeah. All right. So those odds are moving. Ricky Simone um, is a good betting favorite tonight. Uh, There was another one, too, that was on there. Oh, Ray Borg. Yeah, Ricky Simone is fighting Ray Borg. Yeah, so I had that right. And yeah, Ben Rothwell over in St. Peru. Drew Dober, Alexander Hernandez. And Felipe Lenz. I mean, if you want to make some money, I will put that bet in right now. I think Felipe Lenz is the underdog against Andre Arlovsky. Andre Arlovsky's been knocked out, I think, in his last three fights. Uh, he's been in the favorite. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's the favorite. I mean, the way this is lined up right now, about to turn off this live cast. I've been going live on Real Spill Pod. Say hello to the people. Ain't nobody watching. Ain't nobody watching anyway. Just go ahead right, and turn you know. <laughs> Hey man, progress man. Baby steps. We get man. Oh yeah. That's what All right. Get about it. <laughs> well, All shit. Right. We getting there slowly but surely, man. These cookies is popping off. I got a whole bunch of orders coming in. That'll be the last thing that I would mention. Everybody, just go to www.bjscookies.com and follow at BJ's Cookies on Instagram. Place your order up until May twenty fifth. Pre-orders accepting all. Need to get get my cookies in your mouth. <laughs> I can't even follow that shit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>